0: Welcome to Keep the Hotel Empty. I'm your host, Eric Paul. In studio today, we are grateful to welcome in Zeta and Taylor of the progressive pop band, The Tilt. In this episode, Zeta and Taylor discuss the band's origins, what fuels them creatively, and how they manage their different talents and perspectives to create a harmonious blend. Please enjoy. To keep the hotel empty today, we've kept the hotel empty to welcome in Z and Taylor of the band The Tilt, pop, experimental, expansion, pantheon, cornucopia of sound. They are, for those of you not familiar, we're going to start at the start. Guys, could you tell us how The Tilt comes together? That was a really good
1: description. Thank um, amazing. Uh, how did we come together? Uh, so, like, it's a really long story. So, I'll try to keep it to like the most the spark notes version. Um, <laughs> but basically. Taylor and me, I think we started first in high school. In high school, in your garage, playing Slayer or whatever we were doing.
0: (laughs) Um, And when was this? This was when I was
1: 2010, about. Yeah, it was 2010. Freshman year of high school. Gotcha. So um, that started. And then slowly we got up a a band with uh, Sawyer, and uh, it was our other uh, singer and guitar player. And we were doing some sort of indie stuff. We put together an EP um, by the end of high school. Like, you know, we were still teenagers, very green. And uh, that band split up. And then the earliest form of this band started in about 2018 when Taylor and myself and William got together, started playing. And then some time passed. Sawyer joined in, and that's sort of how this Got going in this iteration, but we've all been playing music together
0: in different, you know, configurations for a while. So, what was the big inspiration in high school that got you going from just playing to we're going to start to be a band? We're going to try to jam with other people.
1: I think we always wanted to. Oh yeah, that was that was kind of always the intention. Um, I had bands going back to middle school. Like I had a really bad like six piece new metal band in middle school. Like <laughs> nice like that was that was sort of always the intention I think and uh Sawyer played drums in like a metal band um at the time uh and I would sort of like I was kind of like a groupie like I was I would hang around them you know and just think like damn if I had something like this you know right uh and Sawyer was a guitar player playing drums so it was like you know what let's let's get something going let's let's get you you know, playing more the music that you want to play and playing the instrument that you want to play and let's get something together going on the side so that's kind of how that started and then it went from there
2: became the main band basically yeah yeah
0: yeah so what's the what's the link in the chain between the metal influence and, and the, the new metal beginning <laughs> of the show to where the tilt comes in Well when you start the tilt are you thinking to yourself we're gonna we're gonna totally shift gears here or how does how does that change come about?
1: No, we didn't think about style really at all. I don't yeah. think because um, we've played all sorts of styles like forever. I mean, the the like the the metal band that Sawyer was playing in that didn't play into what we were doing on the on the side at all. That was more of like a indie thing or whatever. It was just what we wanted to do. Um, the the thing is just that the scene was very you know, especially when we were in high school, that was what it was geared towards. But um, You know, as we got older, we just did whatever we wanted, and that meant doing electronic music for a while. And uh, I guess just what we ended up doing was is just a combination of what the four of us all do.
2: We all sort of bring all of our influences together, that kind of thing. What
0: would you say are the big the the cornerstones of the DNA of the Tilt? Because it's for people that haven't heard the music, there is there's easily genre shifts amongst the same composition right so how do you navigate that well
1: I mean basically it just comes from when we you know, each of us is going through our own day to day lives listening to what we're listening to being influenced by what we're influenced by in that particular frame of mind in that particular part of our life and I think we're always each of us is constantly shifting with what that is you know whether we're in a you know, one of us might be in like a punk phase and one of us might be in like a techno phase, but we're all getting together and practicing. And everybody, there's no like lead songwriter or anything like that where one person's gonna dictate, like, we need to go for this or whatever. So it's just we all get together and then whatever everybody's vibing with, they're gonna try to get what they want out of that song, you know? So right. somebody's listening to techno and they're like, I wanna make a techno song. Nobody else wants to make a techno song. Well, you're going to figure out how to make a techno song inside of this non techno song, you know, so that's how it uh, I mean, I don't think we really put too much thought into navigating it, like doing style
0: shifts, like for the sake of doing style shifts. It's just sort of um, that's sort of just our process, right? Yeah. Yeah. So inherently, the framework is almost no framework. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, what are the big influences of that? Are you like John Zorn fans, or I'm where? a huge John Zorn fan? That's a crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. catch, actually. <laughs> okay, see, yeah. that, that's I sort of picked up some of that in yeah. there with the with the bit of brass and whatnot.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's my favorite um, alto sax player for sure. I play alto sax. I mean, I played saxophone generally, but like uh, alto's sort of my first love on the sax. And you know, growing up playing saxophone, it was like. Um, stuff like and we we knew we wanted to have that as part of our sound doing the saxophone stuff because um i mean well it's just like if you can do it and it expands your uh palette then why not but also like live it's like a lot of people you know react to that so but you know growing up it's like uh all the cool saxophone players in my opinion were tenor players, you know, you're uh, Pharaoh Sanders and John Coltrane and stuff and it was like, oh man, like I really picked the wrong yeah, <laughs> the wrong side of the things <laughs> yeah, here. New metal and saxophone, Yeah, That's, yeah. that's, that's a <laughs> well, tough one. And then and then sort of seeing John Zorn like how he made I mean, of course there's other people were net and stuff, but but uh, he really made alto cool to me. So, yeah, that's a big that's a big influence for sure
0: compositionally. Definitely so that was one thing I did want to ask and you said who who plays the brass it's you that's playing the saxophone on the recordings I gather yeah so maybe you could just tell us quick who does exactly what in the band because there's a lot more instrumentation than just guitar based drums right
1: right um well so I do uh of course we, we all kind of contribute vocals in our own way um it started with uh mostly Myself and Sawyer on vocals, um, but we've sort of branched out. William's had some songs, and uh, uh, Taylor's done some things here and there, especially, like, you know, Taylor's done some background vocals. Yeah, some harmonies. So we've all done vocals. Um, The uh, Sawyer and I split most of the guitars, well, probably all the guitars, and then, you know, you sort of focus on...
2: Yeah. Uh, I pretty much focus on bass. Um but you did play guitar on Water Street. Yeah, on Water Street I played uh I played guitar. Yeah. So um and keyboards. And so keyboards, done some yeah. keyboards.
1: I do most of the keyboards and um the uh all the all the wind stuff. The on the last record there was um tenor, alto, sax, and clarinet. So we wanted to have that that was like part of the sound of the last record that we did. I think was having this sort of uh, more like compositional because the first record was way more improvisational. It was mm-hmm. like we would go into yeah. the studio without a plan and just sort of. I mean, we'd have a song, but we'd have just an idea where a part is. Like, and did you track that live then? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, well, not like we would go go in after doing like uh, the drum tracks, the bass tracks, or whatever, and then I would go in and just rip the sacks and okay. it, we would, you know, take the best takes and stuff like that. Um, so it was very, and and same with other stuff like that, the keyboards uh, and, and a bunch of the crazy sounds were all just sort of on the fly stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very improvisational the first record. So the last record we wanted to do like a more of a compositional thing. So I wrote out, you know, parts for clarinet with my very limited understanding of how to write stuff, so clarinet and sax and stuff like that. Sawyer played trumpet on the first record too, so yeah, we all kind of do a So lot you're of, all yeah, yeah, obviously yeah, multi-instrumentalists.
0: Yeah. What's yeah. your background on that? Do you guys have training or did you just kind of get enough to get going or how do you get to the point where you're multi-instrumentalists and not just playing guitar and not just playing bass?
2: So I think a lot of this happens because of sort of where we started uh we most of us started in like um- sco- like school jazz bands, yeah okay we started there that 's where a lot of our jazz influence comes from.
1: We did have a really good jazz program in yeah. in high school, and we had um we had four different jazz band classes that we could take, you know, like there was like a jazz band, one, two, three, four for different skill levels so. mm-hmm. and I think at the height of 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 my enjoyment of school, I was in three of those. So and, and it was an ex, it was an excuse to like play a different thing, you know. So if you played guitar in one jazz band class, you could play a saxophone in another and drums. Ah, so it was like, I think that sort of thing was better. encouraged. Yeah. yeah, yeah, back where we grew up.
2: Yeah, and then like um, even I I was in jazz band in college, and we were doing you know like uh, Cannonball Adder- Adderly. So we were doing like old jazz standards, but we were also doing. Uh, sort of like modern R&B like um, we did like September Earth, Wind, and Fire oh nice so like it was one of those um, so that's that's more modern that's like 80s but more, or 70s, 80s more more, vo- more modern than like 30s and 40s jazz
0: but still a relatively involved composition especially from a bass point of view
2: yeah definitely um, and then like <laughs> we even did uh we did even did like a, a bit of like Freebird one time. Oh nice. One of the uh one of the people at um at my college was like the biggest fan of like Leonard Skinnerd and loved Freebird, so they were like egging egging the uh Egging the like band program to play
1: that, so that's like I played that. Our biggest nice. influence is actually Leonard Skinner
0: right? Well, <laughs> yeah. and that was really obvious. It was Leonard yeah, Skinnerd and totally John's. All obvious. Yeah. It's yeah, 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 perfect. Yeah. So, how important would you say it was being able to have that exposure to a, a, a progression of your musical skill in high school and not necessarily have to wait till college, and that it was encouraged?
1: Mm. Um, I don't know. I I, I think like. If we honestly, if we didn't have that, I I still like to think we'd all be like banging on badger carcasses uh, live or doing whatever. That's the only way to be be original. I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We we would be doing something for sure. So I mean, I don't think like I mean we were we were in bands before we knew how to play,
0: (laughs) and I mean I I don't we still don't know how to play. We're still figuring (laughs) it out. So you know. Okay, so that's a, that's a hell of a lot of groundwork that gets you to tilt day one. Do you remember your first rehearsal? Do you remember your first show? Do you remember when it comes yeah. together and you say, "We're the tilt now."
1: I hit uh, I hit William's car with my car. <laughs> I, <laughs> on, on our first practice, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I came to his house and he kind of he kind of knew of our previous band. You okay. know? Um We we had met in college, William and I, and uh, so he knew of our previous band and. Um, When the time came where I was sort of tired of... For a couple of years after our previous band, I was just sort of making stuff on a laptop, and uh, I think we all kind of were, and I was kind of tired of that for a little while, and I was just like, I want to... Do some rock and roll or whatever, you know? Like, yeah. oh, let me hit up this drummer guy uh, and, that I met, and uh, so I came over to his house. is my first time over at his house, and uh, on my way out, I backed into
0: his car, <laughs> and he was totally chill with it. And that's when I knew, like, okay, this is uh, gonna work out. <laughs> this will work. Yeah. So, how long between hitting his car and first show?
1: <laughs> Two years. No, uh, it wasn't that. It, long. it depends on it depends on how you ask, because. Uh, about about a year later we played um but under a different name um with mostly different songs. I mean there were a couple songs that made it onto the first record in like very uh very modified forms. Yeah. But um it's it's kind of like hard. It was this band, but it was like a very, very embryonic version pre-pandemic. Yeah. So I think we got together for our first practice in January of 2018. We played our first show um, literally like three weeks after Sawyer came on. Sawyer was like, I want to start coming by, see what you've been doing. So he did and wrote some lyrics and started singing a bit. And um, we had this show lined up with like really no plans. So and then we just we did that show. So that was probably like May 2019. And nothing really else happened until you know post uh, post pandemic. Post pandemic. So, so how was pandemic for
0: you? I know I know everybody handled that a little bit differently yeah. from the creative point of view. How was it for you guys? It was, I mean, we wrote a record,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> it was. Uh, that was sort of when the uh, the idea factory, the musical explosion, happened with us. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. just had all this time you know,
1: nobody's doing anything. And yeah, I think that was the period where, I mean, that was the period of like condensation where it like came together into what it would become, yeah, you know, um, before that it was the four of us. So it had that feeling of the four of us that uh, we still have and will always have. But, um, you know, we didn't have a sense of, well, it's hard to say we didn't really have a sense of identity. We didn't have the name, at that time, um, which I feel like is a part of the sense of identity. But, mm-hmm. but the identity has always been the four of us with no plan and no rules. So there was that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that was the point. That was the point where we started writing. I mean, we kind of started writing beforehand, but that was the part where we really buckled down. And we started recording and uh, focused on making that first record. So we, did the, uh, we recorded the first record before anybody knew who we were and because we hadn't played live or anything like that and Mm -hmm. we're not very you know tech social media savvy or anything like that so we we didn't really know another way to sort of like build up hype other than playing shows you know so Mm -hmm. um so we just spent that whole time working on a record we completed the record during that time and um then after finishing the record we started playing shows and people were like you know who are these people? Like we don't, we don't know who you are, and and we did that for about a year, just playing shows, and finally put out the record. And people are like, "Oh, you know, this is really cool. You put this record together really fast." But it's like, no, we no, yeah, it we, had to, we had this we done had this before divorce. any of you knew what was what anything yeah.
0: about us. So, so clearly, the compositions became more deliberate. In the second go round, compared to the first album, mm, how yeah, how does that take shape? If you have this no rules thing and everybody has their own uh, multitude of skill sets, how do you how do you start to make that more deliberate?
1: Well, I think that
0: it was the first
1: record was like there was a very like apocalyptic feeling uh, going into that first record. I think. Uh, I mean there especially like just with the world there was a very apocalyptic feeling at that time it was pandemic and etc but um I mean of course there still is but it's kind of we've been lulled into this fragile state of normalcy right um but uh at that time it was very much like and it was our first record so it was like kind of do or die you know like let's do this as if we'll never have another recorded uh like evidence that we existed as a band, you know, Mm -hmm. let's do this as that as though this will be the only one. So it kind of had everything, you know, whatever. And, and we worked on it for a long time, you know, we worked on it for a year and a half um, from like first recorded note to last recorded note. So, and we were changing the songs, writing new songs that whole period. So it was, uh, it, it was, it was a very long process and during which we tried to sort of cram everything we thought we might ever want to do <laughs> into that process,
0: yeah first record syndrome right yeah, right first right, right. so
1: after that was done it was it was you would think i think that it it would be kind of like we 'd be creatively drained after that, but it was the opposite as soon as we were done with that, we felt i think creatively liberated like Oh okay like that's over now let's just write a record you know so that was, that, one, that was the idea yeah. that was the idea with the second one like let's let's write this whole thing in a month and just make like a rather than try to make this like opus of like rather than try to r- write a record that is us for the last 20 years as long as we've been alive let's make a record that's us Right now and only right now. Yeah. So that was the idea with the second one, I think.
0: So what did you have to do differently, or what did you have to learn new to let that take shape? Instead of doing things, uh, you know, the way to to encompass 20 years.
2: We were writing so fast. Like, we were writing, like... uh, Song after song after song after yeah. song, and we sort of co-
1: coalesced all the best songs, sort of onto that record. That's kind of how we've always done it: is is writing songs like every week, like every time we get together, let's just write something new. Okay, um, yeah. but for the first record, it was like you know we probably wrote. And I don't, I don't want to be that person because I know this cliche where people throw out a ridiculous number. Yeah. And that can't possibly be true. But I do feel like we wrote at least like 50 songs for that record. Yeah. Um, and just threw away so many of them because it was such a long process. And, and, you know, by the end of it, we were feeling these songs more than we were feeling those songs we wrote months ago. So with the first one, or that was the first one. The second one, it was more like we wrote a certain number of songs. And then we went, okay, that's the record. Like we can we can sort of tweak things, but let's not go in in November and write new songs when we wrote the record in April, because that's gonna be like that's not gonna be that snapshot of that. Very particular uh, time frame for us. So, yeah, so it's definitely
0: important that your songs capture the time they were written in. Yeah, yeah. So how do you navigate the writing process? Being that you guys can all bring stuff to the table, do you really just do you do it as the band sit in a room and do it in real time, or does someone come in with a riff? Or I, you know, you mentioned doing stuff on computers. Do you come in with stuff pre-pro?
1: No, no. Uh, nobody ever really comes in with a riff. I mean, there have been a couple things where it's like one of us has an idea we'll put it in the notes app and we'll go hey what about this even that is becoming kind of a, a a thing we don't do anymore um it really is just sort of no plan in the garage you know first thing let's just come up with something new and we'll just jam and um that's really it like i mean we're a jam band at the end of the day cuz cause, <laughs> cause that's what it all comes from is jams and and when when there's a jam that uh we're feeling like can become a song we all sort of know that i think and if there's a if there's a jam that three of us feel like can become a song and one of us doesn't maybe we'll go like okay let's let's try and work on that a little bit see if we can get that person to come around and if if they can't then it's just not i mean yeah it's it's really a unanimous thing and i think usually those ones where it's like the one person was kind of holding out about it (laughs) that that Sort of means you weren't really onto something there, I think, because uh, it, it really is always the ones where we're all like, "Oh yeah, okay." That that sort of go the extra mile.
2: It's actually starting. It's starting to get less and less like of that.
0: Yeah, well, we're, yeah, I mean, don't want to get too into album three spoilers, but... Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, well, that, and that's what I get curious about, you know, how you, how you make the decision which part sticks and which part goes, especially when, you know, you say you're a jam band at heart, you, you know, if you got these jams that are gold, you got to fit them into a structure, you know, because mm-hmm. I know it's a difficult for a lot of bands to write in real time together, you know for a whole host of reasons people's habits and mm-hmm. whatever the case may mm-hmm. be yeah. i think one of the things that gets tough for people is the silent communication that has to happen while you're playing yeah. how was that for you guys when you started or did, was that trust there in the, from the gate and you just built on it like he said it's mm-hmm. getting better now yeah. or or is this trust something you guys have collectively manifested
1: i think well it's it's a combination of both i think i think we did have to write a lot of clunkers back in the day you know um to get to this point where i think and 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 you've always done that in real time yeah yeah okay. yeah i mean in our bands before not necessarily in our bands before we were uh we, we didn't have a drummer in our first band taylor sawyer and i so we programmed all the drums we structured songs like that it was really like sitting down in chairs so the whole idea was do the opposite of that for this okay. for this band yeah. from the very beginning um but you know i think We do keep things fairly simple. I think that sort of helps, you know, I mean, I think we think in very pop terms, you know, there are songs that aren't necessarily pop songs uh, style wise, but structurally uh, it's all quite simple. You know, it's um, that's sort of the way we think is not in these sort of amorphous uh, conceptual pieces, but as like okay, we've got a part, we've got a jam that we like. Is that a chorus or is that a verse? You know, that's that's sort of how we think. All right, well, if that's a verse, let's get a chorus. If that's a chorus, let's get a verse. Does this need a bridge? Eh, maybe. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of how we do it. And, like, you know, within the first few hours from that first jam, we've got, like, a rough structure. And over the time, you know, especially if we're not, like, writing a bunch of new stuff, like we weren't for the second record it was like we could refine it and sort of go like okay this transition from verse to chorus needs work or whatever but yeah
0: so it's like the the i hate to say it but the the rules of pop music where you can start to flower your uniqueness from is that kind of how it goes for you you can you can uh go back to the well of this is a verse this is a chorus and then John Zorn around it because your songs uh, I I read it with a little bit of a grain of salt when it says that you're an experimental pop band because I can hear a bit of like talking heads or like 80s style pop and whatever but the songs are so much more than that you know so I'm wondering because I know people's music sounds different to them because they made it than it does to everybody else so I'm curious what parts of it sound like pop music to you or is it that this is where the structural compass rose starts Thank you for sticking with us. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you'd like to make a difference and take your support to the next level, please visit our Patreon and consider becoming a member. Link in the description. Everything counts in large amounts. Thank you again. Now back to the show.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I think I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, in terms of, like, does our music sound like Carly Rae Jepsen? Like, no. no. I, I, like, I love her, but no. Um, does... Listening to Carly Rae Jepsen sort of help us to understand um, what a strong chorus feels like, or what a tight, concise pop tune feels like. Yeah, so in that sense, I mean, I think the the pop influences are as strong, if not stronger, than the experimental influence. Because the experimental influence is not so much like listening to, like, for to come back to John Zorn. Like, it's it's not like we listen to Naked City and take compositional influence from that, really, where we're like, right. I want to change to 60 different styles in one minute. Like, that's not really what we do. But it's more just, um, it's, it's just experimenting, literally, you know. Let's take a Rhodes keyboard and run it through Sawyer's pedals and see what sort of sounds we get. That's, that's yeah. sort of the thing. But that's, like, superfluous. Like, at the core, the song is, like, pop structurally yeah. usually there have been songs that aren't that way um like basil's talisman uh was like that 10 minute long instrumental and those were generally more often the songs where uh there was sort of an idea like um on a notes app or something like let's try and do something like this let's try and do i know basil's talisman um was inspired by uh, La Fiesta by Chicoria. It was like, let's try to do something where that song sort of has this big split. Like, four minutes in, it becomes a completely different song. Right. And so we were like, let's try to do that. You know, that was the idea there. But I don't think, like I said, like, the whole even coming to practice with a conceptual idea in mind is not really so much of a thing that we do anymore. Yeah,
2: definitely not.
0: So expectation is out the window.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What helped you get to that point? It just never existed in the first place. Expectation. Like, like, yeah. it, because I find a lot of people in creative endeavors, if they start with an expectation, either they get it and they're super happy, or it mires them and it ruins the whole experience. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that is that that's exactly it is, uh, you know, we can expect that we'll sound like this band that we love or that band that we love. And at the end of the day, we won't because we're not those people. You right. know? Um, so we'll we'll just constantly be unhappy if that's the way we went about it. But if we just think, like, use our imaginations to uh, imagine what this song at the end of the recording process is going to sound like, we're we're just still trying to get closer to that. Um, and I don't think we're there. We're, we're never, like... You know, when we imagine these songs in our heads, when we write these songs, I think we're all thinking of the studio. You know, we're kind of a studio band. We're a live band because, you know, we love playing live and 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 we love that interaction, but the songs don't come from thinking of them in a live setting at all. They come from thinking of it in a studio setting. I think we all have the, the end product in mind when we're working on it. And um, you know, I, I still don't think that we've ever had a song really where like the end result is exactly what we envisioned it from day one but I wouldn't want it to be you know I think we're edging closer to that if we were at like 40% last time we're at like 45% this time and we'll get closer with each record and maybe before we we die we'll have a That's like a 99.9%.
0: There you go. And you don't want to kill all the fun of the pursuit. Exactly. Definitely. I
1: think that 1%, that 0.1% that's left over at the end, that's not what we
0: wanted, is probably what people will like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but if you have the fun in between, it was worth it. Yeah. Okay, so you get to the point where we're going to take it back a little bit in your pandemic. You can call these songs done. We're not going to go out and have these be these magnum opus pieces, like you said. Where does how does the recording process start? You said you guys are studio oriented. What is that like for you? What was the process of recording the second album like? Hmm.
1: It was uh, different from the first one, but it's yeah. it was the same process. Uh, like in terms of we worked uh, with the same producer we've been working with for a long, long time. He, he produced our EP when we were right out of high school. Um, so we've been working with him for 10-plus years. Nice. Um, and, you know, in that same space. But it, it it did go differently in terms of it wasn't so much like we were all um, sort of in there experimenting at the same time, mostly. I think there were some things in, in personal lives that got in the way of that for the second record, um, which which I, th- I think it just created a different... Um, atmosphere to work in for sure. Um but you know, it's it's not a bad thing. It was it was just a different way of working. Right. And um yeah. so like we came out with certain things like the interludes on that um which were mostly just me and William mucking about when when nobody else was there and stuff and uh so so there were certain I guess I, I said that it wasn't so, uh, improvised as the first one, but there were three tracks on there that were all completely improvised. So, well, you <laughs> a can't have a totally liar, <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. So there was, there was that aspect of it, but, um, generally it was, it was pretty smooth. I guess we knew a bit more of like, you know, we get a little less green each time we do it. So, and, right. you know, we, we, we sort of go like, Oh, that didn't work last time. So let's let's keep the things that worked and get rid of the things that didn't work. And we'll experiment with some more things. So that's kind of the formula. It's like 33%, keep the things that work. 33%, get rid of the things that didn't work. 33%, let's try something new. Totally unknown. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe half of that stuff we tried that's new on this last record worked half of it didn't so we'll keep that half that worked on this next one and toss that half that we didn't at least in the perfect world that's the idea
0: yeah right yeah. well that's a good framework to be able to yeah. go on when you have no expectations because at least you got some <laughs> this fits here this fits there this doesn't fit at all right yeah. right right yeah so when did you finish that album
1: um f- well last notes recorded were in november 2022
0: last uh mixing was in february of this year i think yeah and you released it in june yeah and what's the name of the record again i'm sorry it was was supposed supposed to to be be heaven heaven. that's right i always wanted to say something like heaven
2: (laughs) do i owe you a soda now you do owe me a soda oh man (laughs) under a roof don't forget it oh under a roof Mm -hmm that's Man, a tall order why was that a part of
0: it those are terms <laughs> yeah that's so you know the other party's committed yeah exactly of course <laughs> so once the record gets done you get a little bit of break in between did you how many singles did you release before you put it out one one yeah, one, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> you you've got you're the only band we've talked to so far that did it old school.
1: Yeah, well we did we did five on the first record, so <laughs> <laughs> it was uh with with the first record we put out five singles and the first one came out uh a year and change before the actual album came out. Yeah. And so people had literally half of that record
0: for months and months and months so So how's your feeling about that not necessarily as a marketing how many ears we can get on our stuff but from this is the art we made point of view what's your feeling about that because you had both where you gotta give away half the movie and then people see the movie and only half of it's debatably interesting because they've <laughs> learned the first half. Right, right, right. And you put out just one single where other people I've discussed that with have literally couched that as career suicide, <laughs> but I'm the guy that releases my stuff still on Tuesdays. So I, I, I don't care. I, I'm, I'm yeah. fully suicidal with my, my music, but I'm wondering how it feels for you guys. Yeah. Well, we have stuck to Fridays, so we're a little,
1: <laughs> we're yeah. a little traditional in that sense, I guess. Or, yeah. Um, well, it's the way it yeah. is the way. Um, but I guess that, uh, it, you know, giving away half the movie is is the conversation that we have, I think, more so than, you know, uh, getting as many people as possible to hear it. Because, I mean, that does enter into it, but we're not we haven't seen we, you know, what we've had, the success that we've had has been like groundswell, you know, uh, live shows and that sort of thing Um, in word of mouth, that's really what it's been. So it's like, you know, putting out five singles and hoping that one of them goes viral on TikTok or something doesn't really enter into the conversation for us. Um, But what does is, you know, let's not give away the whole record. So I think from that standpoint, we do lean a little bit more that way. Um, But if we've got enough, you know, excess material maybe then you know we do like to
0: to uh, keep uh, putting things out yeah the the game you know it gives it the face of rigidity where if you don't release a whole bunch of singles and you don't release them on friday you've got no chance but you know you're saying that with your live element you don't have to feel like it's career suicide if you don't play kate to digital streaming standards
1: <laughs> right yeah. yeah definitely and and it's also I mean but there is the flip side of it where those singles are some of the songs that um, because we put them out you know before the record and people, ha- people had more time to soak up just that one single and I think that's kind of the art of the single right? is that when that comes out people don't have this whole record around it where they're like oh, this is like a whole lot of music, I'm going to like pick the few songs that on my first pass I liked the most, and then I'm going to sort of get to know those right. intimately. And the rest of the record I'm not really going to get to know as intimately. With that one song, it's like, if you liked it, you're going to get to know that song really well. So the, the one single that we did from that last record is one of our favorite songs to play live. It's always been one of our favorite songs to play live, but I think ever since we play, uh, put it out... It's become even more so. Uh, one of the songs that people, you know, want to see us do. Hopefully, yeah. I think.
2: I, I think that's one of our mo- more requested songs. <laughs> requested, more yeah. requested. Yeah. Like we're uh, if, we, if we didn't play it, yeah, people people might like, be upset jokingly like we're like a cover band or something like yeah, that yeah right <laughs> yeah
1: yeah well that it's it's that and then it's sweet home alabama yeah
0: right. well because the Skynyrd influence cannot right, be right. shuffled under the yeah, rug if we don't play sweet home it's a riot right yeah well that's understandable that's that's the calling card of diversity yeah yeah so <clears throat> you've got the new record out have you have you been playing a bunch of shows since then what was what was the change of gear once you dropped the record you mm-hmm. did just the one single and you dropped records. so what's the yeah. statement after that yeah, the statement was actually to uh, get immediately
1: working on another one. Um, so uh, the we played a bunch of uh, shows in preparation for the record um, in this spring. I mean, I don't want to put a random number out there because I really don't know, but for you know five five months or so, we were playing on average more than once a week you know Oh okay. maybe, maybe 1.2 times a week And <laughs> <laughs> no, those right? no, so there were there were some weeks where we did you know two three shows uh there were some weeks where we had no shows but uh it was really a lot of shows uh from you know uh late january to, to uh, early june of uh, this spring so we kind of hit it hard and uh we were we were a little bit worried how that would you know uh, affect the record. You know, would would people be kind of tired of us by then, or or would they be really anticipating it? And I think what did end up happening was it, it completely worked in our favor. People were uh, the response to the record was fantastic, and um, so after that, it was sort of like okay, we don't want to you know become. A band that's just sort of going through the motions and playing worse and worse every night you know? yeah. <laughs> and so uh you know we we haven't played as many shows since the record came out we've done we've done only a small handful of shows since the record came out. I think things will start ramping up again um here soon um but uh yeah, we mostly took uh the couple months after the record came out to start writing new stuff, yeah.
0: Because writing is really where your passions lie.
1: Absolutely, definitely. I think I think everybody in the band would give sort of a. I mean, it it might vary on two to three, um, but like, first being uh, writing all day, and then yeah. second and third being studio and live. I think that might flip from member to member, but all of us, I think, we would put writing up top for the the thing that we're most passionate about.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's very cool. That's definitely a unique thing as well, because you know most people are like, "Well, I do it all for the time I can be on stage." Mm, yeah, you know what I mean.
2: You gotta, uh, you gotta do the the busy work right. essentially to do the to do the stuff where you can, you know, uh, show off your talents. Yeah, yeah that thing. I mean, playing live
1: is really just a celebration of what you did in the garage. Yeah, pretty you much. Know, yeah, yeah like, definitely. It's like the time in the garage is really what we're doing this for. And then, and then the live show is just like, we get to share it. Yeah. You get to be in our garage with us, you know, that's kind of.
0: So it's like, uh, I hate to make a sports reference, but it's almost like the Kobe Bryant thing. You're not there because of winning championships. You're there because of four-day workouts and 5 a.m.s and your yeah. time in the garage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting take on it. I, I know a lot of people don't necessarily have that same take. So you guys employ a lot of old-school philosophy. You played shows to promote the dropping of a record <laughs> instead of after it. You only did one <laughs> single. You re- you're primarily concerned with writing instead of performing live or being you know celebrated on social media. Sounds right. like career
1: suicide. Yeah, I was going to say, I,
0: I, I very much uh, credit you guys for carving your yeah. own niche like that. I mean, I, I heard Just it. don't
1: show this to Capitol Records or Atlantic.
0: Well, <laughs> and, and, until it turns that, that becomes the desirable thing, and then they're all calling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's right. true. So, but you do have a live show coming up. Right, yes. and, yeah, and it, it is you do have a live show that's a bit anomalous in that you are going to play some covers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's one of them. Yeah. And I know it's not a big backbone of of your guys' identity by any stretch, but I think it's super cool. And then you got an original show after it, so tell us a little bit about that because I think that's a cool little back to back you guys are going to have in a couple of weeks there.
1: Yeah. So well, the first record we've actually got our record, the first uh, show that we've got coming up soon uh, is going to be. Um, a Friday the 13th show at mojo Records in Tampa oh nice um, after that we are playing at oscura in Bradenton um, we're doing um, a cover show of the cure and um, and then we're playing oscura again an, an original set uh, the month following that with a uh, um, hover car and just some some really amazing bands I mean amazing bands on all these lineups so we're really excited um, the the cover show is kind of something where we debated it for a bit um, because it was just such a not-us thing to do. Right. And I think maybe the thing that put us
0: over the edge was exactly that. Like, it's so antithetical and, we can get yeah, away with it. Right, yeah. yeah. Like,
1: this is maybe something that people wouldn't expect us to do, so let's do it, you know? Um, yeah. How'd you pick The Cure? Well— because Taylor already knows every damn Cure baseline, <laughs> <laughs>
0: sweet. And you got a chorus pedal and a flanger pedal to make it. Oh end. yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. We're in then. Yeah, they're one of our
1: favorite bands, and we all went to see them um, a couple months ago. Uh, so uh, there was that aspect to it.
0: Um, yeah, they're still really good. Yeah. yeah. Incredible.
1: Incredible band. Um, uh, yeah, and it, it's Halloween, so you know we were like, oh, we can play some spookier
0: sort of stuff. Is and, someone going to do Robert Smith hair? Absolutely. Okay, good. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I had
1: Robert Smith hair all through high school. Well, okay. not all through high school, but mostly. All
0: right, fantastic. Yeah. That's good. So how are you going to approach doing that? Are you going to try to do them traditional like they were? Or are you going to, are you going to tiltify them?
1: Well, that was one reason why The Cure was such a good band for us to do, I think, was because, first of all, there's a lot of diversity in their music already. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was something that sort of, that's something that speaks to us is, is being that sort of band of two sides in a way, or many sides, you know, because they've got that sort of like pop, uh, just, like, no frills, complete pop yeah. stuff, yeah. you know, and then they've got that stuff that's just, like, I mean, the closing track off pornography is just, like, a tape loop nightmare, <laughs> so, you know, they've really got it all, so I think that spoke to us in that way, and so there's already diversity there for Share us to DNA. work with, yeah, yeah, shared DNA from, like, the the pop side to the dark side, because we kind of do that, too, but it was also like, they're really good songs to sort of stretch out in, you know, especially the uh, the early stuff, the the more gothy stuff or whatever, and the uh, the disintegration stuff. Um, it's not so much like verse, chorus, verse, you have to do everything this way. Um, a lot of those songs are just sort of an ocean to lose yourself in. Right. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was like, a, that's a really good uh, place for us to sort of tiltify them you know do our thing um because these songs sort of stretch out for a while it doesn't need to sound like the way the cure stretches out with uh you know uh, just the the way that those guys play together it would be the same songs and stretching out in the same way but they would sound the way that we sound when we do that very
0: yeah. cool So, what's your favorite one? You're doing? Do you got them all picked out already? We do. We haven't. Well, mostly
1: we've been kind of uh, discussing some, uh, throwing some last second changes in there. But um, thinking about uh, lullaby. Oh man, I love that song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Love cats (laughs) would be cool. I said love cats would be. That's a great tune too. But uh, um, geez, what is? I I I think we don't each give a different answer for this, but probably the one I'm most excited for is Fascination Street. Nice, because that's uh, that's one of my favorite songs, but it also it. It it really epitomizes that sort of like stretching out sort of feeling. And I think that that one is going to be really, really free for us to explore and do our thing. And
0: yeah, that's a cool one off thing to do just to stretch your legs as a band a little bit and then put that in the closet and go back with what you've learned.
1: Right. Yeah. It was sort of like we didn't learn how to write songs by covering other bands. Now that we've learned how to write
0: songs, though, let's prove to ourselves that we can do this. Right. Yeah. So you've been doing a bunch of fun stuff. You got a cover gig coming up. You got your own gigs coming up. You got a Friday the Thirteenth show coming up. And you've been writing. What's the time frame for this writing? Are you going to try to put the pedal to the metal and get another record out sooner? Are you going to let this one breathe for a couple years like last time? Pedal to the
1: metal. Pedal to the metal. All All, day. all the way. Yeah, I think it, that's another kind
0: of old school
1: mentality that we have. Is. Um, <laughs> Don't edit that. No. Oh. <laughs> um, Genius of love. That can interrupt. <laughs> yep. um, uh, wow. Well, my whole train of thought gone. Um, so, yeah. Pedal to the metal. Uh, we really liked the idea. of And then this is actually was something that we talked about um, in the early days of the band was, you know, the 2020s are coming up. Uh <laughs> And we really love those uh, artists. Some of our favorite artists all sort of hit. I mean, there's there's artists of ours, artists that we love that sort of have been more sparing with their records. But I think some of our favorite artists, you know, like Bowie in the '70s, uh, or Eno in the '70s, or, or or maybe even the Tom Tom Club, <laughs> yeah, or or the or the Cure in the '80s. They sort of hit it, and and that was their decade to go out and just. I mean the Cure did what, like eight records in 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 the 80s Right. and Bowie did god knows how many records in the 70s and they're all great
0: um especially the Berlin yeah, ones yeah yep yep That's low i got to chill yeah, out I, yeah. I can't live without that album yeah
1: so i think that was sort of our idea and 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 they stretch out so much you know they find who they are by doing all those records like a a, a Cure record from 82, the pornography, the Cure record from 82 does not sound anything like a Cure record from 87, you know like, that's just a five year span, and in that span of time there's a lot of bands that, you know, will put out one record in each of those years, and they'll sound exactly the same you know, Mm -hmm. we we didn't want to be that, we wanted to be the band that, that puts out five records in five years and the first one sounds completely different from the last one so
0: yeah and the cure they make it all the way on their road to working with ross robinson and recording live <laughs> yeah. and doing the whole yeah. corn it's doing the this corn stuff. unplugged yeah. so so <laughs> where where do you see what what ideally do you see your progression being like what are the some of the things you want to incorporate in this well next i five absolutely
1: years? want to play unplugged with corn
0: yeah <laughs> No
1: question. <laughs> no question.
0: And yeah. cover Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. yeah. With corn. With corn. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Big
1: yeah pipes. exactly, exactly. Oh, Big yeah. Pipes, Alabama. Uh, yeah. Or we'll just, uh, we'll talk, talk it, and we'll just, we'll make a really great record and disappear off the face of the earth. Who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, is this more of like a, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Yeah, kind yeah,
0: kind of. Do you yeah. want to do things where you start to record live or, you know, do completely turn some of your things on its head, or do you just want to add to the things?
1: <laughs> well we do love adding to the things we're pretty addicted to that but I think uh, we always want to just sort of do the opposite of what we just did um, like with the first couple records the first record was like I said very maximalist and uh, and, and it had a, a very positive uh, lyrical message that was the whole idea of tying it all together was even though the music was all over the place the message was consistent And so for the second record, we didn't really plan it this way, but the second record ended up being quite minimalist and quite dark. So I think we just sort of have a tendency to, uh, whatever we just did, we don't want to do that again, you know? So I think that's the way it'll continue until, I don't know, we run out of things to do, but I think that's kind of how we,
2: I think that's kind of how we don't get stuck as sort of a band is that we, we just keep expanding because I mean, if we do the same thing just over and over and over again, yeah, there <laughs> and,
1: and we're going not quickly going, to, going quickly kind of helps with that, yeah, because it's sort of you know you know there's gonna be another one, so nobody's left out in the cold, like, oh, I really liked what we did on the last one, why are we going in a different direction with this one? it's like. Don't worry, you'll have your, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come back, you know, or and not necessarily like we'll do the next record like we did the last one. But it's just the, that mentality of there will be another record. And that's not to say we're not all on board because we are all on board with anything we decide to do, but yeah. we can afford to get all on board like that because we all know there's going to be another record and we don't need to sort of fit everything we want to do into this one we can make this one as good as we can with these parameters and then we can figure out what the next one is
0: with sort of the idea as the DNA develops and and starts to take more of a face then these are things that will bubble up in the future without having to think about it
1: yeah and I think yeah. they already kind of have um, you know whatever whatever somebody could describe as our sound being uh, is completely unintentional it's just things that have bubbled up from you know doing what we do on if there's consistencies between the first and the second record they're completely accidental
0: <laughs> yeah right just merely because it was the same yeah. humans right. Yeah, right. that would be the yeah. only
1: and that'll be how it is in 10 years I'm sure we'll, the process might be completely different but it'll still be the four of us so it'll still f- feel like the four of us I think yeah
0: that's awesome. So it seems like you guys can really take away a big amount of gratitude from the fulfillment you get from writing. You mm-hmm. know, And then you can do all of the things that go along with it. You can take away the the gratification of having written and having done something the four of you in real time. That's definitely a unique experience. I'm wondering how much you think about it or what you would like for the listeners to take from it. Because I know the listener can inherently take some of the... Uh, process that went into it when they hear your music. This was clearly not something people slept on. This was deliberate. This was intentional. But they don't get to take away your gratification with your vibe of your music. What do you hope your listeners take away when they hear your stuff? Hmm.
1: <laughs> well, I think all of us sort of got into music uh, because of somebody. You know, we can we can pretend uh, that that's not the case, but that's of course the case with every musician. Is, right. And and what we all want is for uh, somebody to hear us. And I think that's one of the reasons that we make music in a sort of a, a pop format rather than just go full uh, Schoenberg or whatever. You know, it is is uh, because we don't want to just play to people like us now, you know, we want to play to people like us 10, 15, 20 years ago too. So, you know, if, if somebody wants to pick up a instrument or, you know, do something artistic, uh, and in some small part was inspired by us, uh, because of course all of us, you know, we weren't inspired by one person. We were inspired by, The myriad of life experience and going out and seeing art from every direction and thinking like that's what I want to do. I want to be an artist because my life is better because of art. Right. Yeah. So if somebody's life is like one tiny fraction of a percent better because of our art, you know, then that's completely
0: then the circle completes. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. I think that's a very important thing. It's very cool that that's that's your sentiment. So I know that's a heavy one we can get you out of here on something fun. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay? You can put together a dream tour mm. or a dream recording session Ooh. since I know you guys love the studio. what What's the dream tour or what's the dream recording situation?
1: Okay. You got to take this first. Oh, I get
2: to take it? Okay. Okay. Um. <laughs> i didn't have uh, i didn't have something pre-prepared for oh this. no they never do
0: they mm. never do so <laughs>
2: um
0: i think the last answer was metallica and devin townsend together oh wow so, oh, that would so be awesome. all, who'd you all, have in here georgie um <laughs> no um the the gentleman from appear on bound why is his oh, name escaping okay, me right okay, now yeah um but Yeah, so he so that would be a so, cool tour. Yeah, so you all bets are off. You make all the rules, who it is. But okay. they have to be alive, though, right? No, I don't, I don't <laughs> care. I'm not gonna put that heat on uh, Okay, um, so It'd be weird if they And, and the reason why I ask is because I, I, I'm i curious to where you see your, your music sit ideally in a fantasy world. That's why mm, I asked that question. Okay, okay.
2: um, hmm.
1: I'll start. I'll start with a recording session. Um, uh, A recording session with the four of us, um, with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh, definitely. And Joni Mitchell. Oh, nice combo. All all, all together. Yeah. Um,
2: I would say like uh, Susie Sue, and then like um, this is a band I just saw recently. I saw um, I saw Melt Banana. Oh, yeah. And they're probably my favorite Japanese hardcore band. Yes. And I saw them with uh, Otto Von and Serac nice. and, um, and then Igor.
0: Oh, I love Igor.
2: And they were incredible. Like, all of them were. Um, but I would love... I was going to say,
0: that'd be a hell of a build just to drop you guys out right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: I would love to do... Um, I'd love to be, like, even in the same studio as melt banana. Like that would be incredible.
0: The fiasco would be on. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That that's when your cornucopia would go exponential. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah i want to play one of those uh i want to play one of those big uh butt rock festivals <laughs>
0: <laughs> i want to play welcome to rockville that would be awesome <laughs> it would be cool if danny wimmer whoever books that stuff actually did throw a curveball on those bills yeah, so it yeah, wasn't definitely. so monoculture yeah. Yeah. well i
1: mean i think i i don't know like hasn't like a hundred gex been getting put on some yeah. of those bills? yeah I mean, yeah, come yeah on. they did one it was on. like um, hit us up it was like
2: Gabber-style hyper-pop kind of things. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. You love that. No one drops a Gabber reference anymore. <laughs> love that stuff. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming down. I think everything you're doing is super cool. I encourage everybody to go check out your music. We'll definitely have links in the bio to everything. I um, look forward to seeing you live. I hope I can catch that Halloween show because mm-hmm. uh, I feel I'm going to be a fan of you and a fan of the cure. Keir- I already know I am. So <laughs> onward and upward, I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much Thank you. For Thank you. Yeah, no yeah. problem.